Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America. I am one half of your host, Yael Ososki, safe and sound here in the Vienna office, and I'm joined as always by my colleague David Clement. David, last week it was all about Canada, it was all about what's happening in Ottawa, and it seems that the tides have turned. How goes it, my man? Yes. Yeah, they sure have turned. Um... Yeah, I mean, we can't not talk about what is unfolding in Ukraine. Um, you and I both know people who are there, um, know people who have left. Um, it's a tr- it's a, a pretty terrible situation um, that, as of recording this, does not look like it is getting better uh, before it gets worse, and. I mean, there's a lot to unpack. I, I feel like we could devote the whole show just to, to going over all of the, the arguments and the nuance of what different countries can do. And I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start. Yeah, and there's there's plenty there. I mean, there's there's other stuff, obviously, in the news that we'll, we'll try to uh, also bring here to Consumer Choice Radio. Of course, you guys can always go over to ConsumerChoiceRadio.com for our past episodes. Uh, we have uh, many... YouTube links as well, so you can go up there and check out all the videos, everything else. And we are a podcasting 2.0 project, meaning you can download a modern podcast app like Fountain, which I recommend. Load it up uh, with some uh, Bitcoin, small amounts. And if you haven't already sent it all to the uh, Ukrainian army or to the Canadian truckers, you can send a little bit to us. What <laughs> uh, Might as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's all part of the fun. But yeah, this is... Um, it's a it's a crazy time, and I think a lot of people are f- becoming introduced. Um, one thing I'm noticing is a lot of my very non political friends, and a lot of my mm-hmm. I'll say non traveled friends, uh, folks uh, Americans with no passports, who are taking an interest, who are paying attention, and being like, "Oh, okay." Apart from the World War Three memes, like this, there's actually something going on, and, and people are actually getting hurt by this. Yeah, it's I I mean. Where to start? Uh, let's go with the the folks who don't think that the U.S. or Canada or Europe should be involved at all, um, which I think is an incredibly juvenile position. I mean, we're talking about a democratic uh, country um, whom has been invaded by a country within with a leader with imperialist visions, some faux concept of uh, a post-Soviet Union, Soviet Union, um, and, and doing so, I mean, at least from what we can see online, in a way that is, um, we're not talking about like precision military strikes against um, military installations in Ukraine. I mean, we're talking about apartment buildings and... Um, places where civilians are and this is i mean we have we have not seen anything like this um i would say i guess since uh, i don't even know it's hard to compare but um i don't know what's your you're in europe what is the what is the take of of the folks in europe in regards to what should be done so i'll i'll say real quick um I'm getting a lot. Yeah, I'm also hearing that a lot. You know, we always oh, haven't seen this since World War II. And I think there's a lot of people in Serbia that are just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and there's people in Georgia or Crimea who are like, wait a second. We saw this just a few years ago. Yeah. And the interesting part about 
you know, Kosovo and Serbia is that this happened right at the cusp of at least when millennials were about an elementary school or a bit younger. So it's like, it's, it's just like, it wasn't quick enough to be in the high school history books. And we weren't able to understand it uh, enough, you know, when we were younger. Uh, I only had exposure to it through Saturday Night Live, actually. <laughs> Slobodan Milosevic. Uh, that was about the only, uh, the only kind of exposure I had to that. Uh, but when you sort of read what, what happened there and you read it, I mean, that we're talking about mass genocide of uh, particularly Muslims. Uh, that was a pretty serious affair, and there's a lot of people whose careers uh, actually blossomed during that time. I mean, I'm thinking of Samantha Power, uh, who was in the Obama administration and sort of in the Democratic uh, Party uh, apparatchik. Uh, she was um, sort of a, I believe, a peacekeeper, negotiator, and um, you know wrote a lot of books about genocide afterwards. But you know, the the kind of stuff that we're dealing with, what's so difficult about it is I, I talked before about the the propaganda, and sort of the Russian term is the agitprop, you know, sort of uh, propaganda that, that's used to, to further a certain message. I mean, back in the Soviet Union, obviously, it was uh, the glories of communism, you know, Marxism and the like. Uh, but now it's just this terrible—I mean, I know that I was very skeptical, and this is where everyone's having to either re-evaluate their own views or their own thoughts— and I actually want to put up my own mea culpa, if I'm able to do that Ooh, on Consumer right, Choice Radio. Um, so this has to do with Russian, just Russian government uh, policy. Um, let me find, actually, the article that I wrote. I wrote an article in the Pan American Post in 2013. And maybe I'm still somewhat right, but basically this was about the uh, anti-gay laws, if you remember this. Oh, yes. Yeah, I do. So this was Federal I Law do. 135, um, passed in June of 2013. So I wrote an article, uh, I'll be, you know, Russia's anti-gay law reveals U.S. media misinformation and hyperbole. So I wrote this article not taking an apology, you know, thing for the Russia. I just saw more the very insane responses from many of the media establishment, particularly in the United States, saying that uh, basically, you know, homosexuals were being rounded up and this kind of thing. And I, I think I, I, treated, I treated it a little bit with kid gloves. I mean, I basically said, hey, look, this is not right and it's not what should happen in a liberal democracy, but don't cry wolf when it's just about finding movies that include homosexual stuff, which essentially was kind of it. It was, it was uh, putting fines on any individuals or organizations or companies who promote, quote, non-traditional sexual relations to minors. Uh, so I had to do a lot with, for the kids, obviously. And I, why I say mea culpa, you know, I was like, oh, you know, this law received 40, uh, 436 to zero support in the Russian Duma and has 88% approval rating. And I sort of fell into the trap of wanting to dunk so much on the media that I kind of lost focus on this is actually a country that is erasing civil rights. Yeah. And yeah. I, I are you are you pulling a Matt Taibbi right now? Well, I saw the Matt Taibbi thing. His though was like three days later. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, there's not going to be any invasion. I don't know what's going on. Blah, blah, blah. And, then, oh. and the, yeah, the, the background for that is Matt, journalist Matt Taibbi essentially put out an apology basically saying, when you're wrong, you're wrong, and you got to own up to it. So this is your own Taibbi apology. I like it. Yeah, and you know, the t- at the time, if you remember the media, and I'm, I'm very happy that I at least um, had original links and stuff. Um, Aaron Burnett on CNN, you know, your favorite network, is Russia not is Russia Nazi Germany? Under Hitler, started with laws. First, you have to do this with the people, and then you have to wear a star, and then we round you up, and then we're gonna euthanize you. And I just sort of saw that as Godwin's law type thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, even Jay Leno. I- <laughs> I forgot about Jay Leno, but uh, I had a quote in there. Suddenly, homosexuality is against the law, said uh, late night coming Jay Leno. It seems like Germany. Let's round up the Jews, the gays. Let's round up the blacks. It starts with that. You round up people you don't like. Why isn't the world more outraged at this? Leno asked Obama. And it's like, why is this comedian dude all of that? And it was all about respecting gay rights. And yeah, I, again, it was just, I was doing a dunk on the media because it was very hyperbolic at the time. Um, but. Yeah, so that, I think that's the only thing that I have written in my 12 years of putting public words out there, uh, particularly when it comes to Russia, that I'm just a bit queasy on. Where you're like, ah, okay, yeah, I, in retrospect, I'm wrong. Mm, I, don't, I don't know if I was wrong. It's just, like, not the right message. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there yeah. that is probably wrong, and, you know, someone could write about it, but it's just not the right message. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, the 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 thing is, is uh, with what's going on right now, I'm just seeing a lot of really old, outdated arguments about foreign intervention that were really valid and applicable for the war on terror, but don't really apply to the situation here. Uh, I'm not sure if you're seeing the same thing. But it's really grinding my gears. Well, luckily I stay out of the uh, news feeds that you're looking at, um, so I'm not seeing <laughs> this as much. Uh, you know, I, I have seen a little bit. I know Tulsi Gabbard had some kind of thing. I was like, well, if only we hadn't, you know, dangled the NATO thing. It's like, well, Putin's, if you listen to the guy's uh, monologue, diatribe, soliloquy there, which is an hour long, yeah, you know, he doesn't just talk about NATO. He, he he's like, this is the fault of the 1917, uh, you know, Leninist, and all. and it's just about seizing land, you know, creating a grand Russian language empire, and stuff is complicated. You know, it's not just is it's not just all the U.S. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, and and this is why Tulsi Gabbard is wrong. So when she's like, oh, well, we like NATO aggression, it's reasonable for NATO or for Russia to not want NATO forces on its border. It's like, okay, that might sound reasonable. So what has the Russian response been? The Russian response has been to invade Ukraine based on what we can see at the moment to annex it. So to take and hold it um, maybe absolving it into Russian territory under that master vision that you described okay well what happens when Ukraine becomes part of Russia whom does this new Russian state have on its borders well 
if we're so scared of NATO in that situation, if Ukraine becomes part of Russia, well, then you have Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, all NATO countries, all NATO forces bordering what is then Russia under Putin's ridiculous plan. And so it's very hard for me to take that argument seriously when it's like, mm, okay, but if it become if Ukraine becomes Russian territory, well, then you have four NATO countries bordering you, as opposed to what the the possibility of one being Ukraine, which hadn't even happened. Yeah, and I, you know, you asked before about your sort of what. Europe is talking about. I mean, the European Parliament is is trying to ban Bitcoin and proof of work. So um, they've obviously got their eye on the ball. And uh, I I think it all just comes down to Germany. You know, Austria just doesn't have much say in this. Um, Austria is technically neutral, so it's not in NATO. They don't have much of an argument, but they have been, um, at least the president and the chancellor have been very vociferous in opposition to what is happening and all the rest. But okay, why why aren't they in NATO? That seems strange. to If me. you want to know why, okay, well, it's an interesting question. It goes back to 1955. I sound like Putin now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it actually is because of the Soviet Union. Uh, so uh, after the war, uh, the Allies uh, occupied Austria. Um, so there were there was much like in Germany, an American sector, British sector, French sector, Russian sector, or Soviet sector. And uh, also in Vienna, it was the same as Berlin. Um, but basically what happened is the Soviets, uh, the Americans and the French and the British had more interest in Germany than they had in Austria. So the Soviets basically took up most of the, uh, we'll say they took up most of the governing at that time. So from 1945 to 55, basically, you know, you had social democratic governments that tended to lean a bit red. And then 1955... You know, there was a little bit of, of pressure. You know, things were kind of bubbling in, uh, for the Iron Curtain. And the Soviet Union, as sort of as an agreement for leaving Austria, said, okay, Austria will leave, and we'll give you your own constitution, and you can be independent. Uh, but you have to promise uh, to have a permanent declaration of neutrality. Okay. Uh, so that was in 1955. So in that, that was sort of an agreement with the Soviet Union that they had to be permanently neutral. And that was the way that the Soviets would leave Austria. I mean, obviously, Slovakia and, and Hungary were still under the, the Iron Curtain for many years, uh, but at least they they left Austria. So it was supposed to be permanently neutral. Again, it joined the EU, which you can make arguments that that's not neutral at all. But regardless, it means that Austria is not in NATO. Uh, they still have sent you know peacekeeping forces and things to Syria and, and Kosovo and the like. Uh, but it stayed out of that. And unfortunately, there is a lot of Russian money um, that's uh, that in, in Austria. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, much more to come here on uh, Consumer Choice Radio. Well, life has nearly killed me and my mind has put me on. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio, obviously dissecting the situation uh, that is happening not far from at least where I'm sitting um, in Ukraine and what's happening with the Russian forces. Plenty of stuff in the news that is bound to confuse, uh, bound to get you. I mean, I saw one report about a 
ship in the Black Sea that was assumed to be Romanian that had been hit by a projectile that was actually Moldovian. And I tell you, there's there's something with the with the propaganda that we already see. I think the only requirement I'm going to have is for any public pundit, um, if they want to make their their pronouncement, and they also happen to be a contributor to RT, um, you need yeah. to resign that position immediately, get the hell out, and um, then I'll listen to you. <laughs> because yes. I'm seeing way too many of these people who've been on RT for years, you know, still cropping up. and make, It's like, no, get out of here with that. You're Russian-funded yeah. television, no, no, get out of no. here. Yeah. But yeah, uh, you know, it's not too far away, and I had we had our own kind of scare. So my, my mother actually flew into Austria this morning, and um, my grandmother, you know, had... I mean, look, my, my grandma came to Europe many years ago, but, you know, if you're sitting at home at television, you've been in lockdown for two years uh, <laughs> in, in rural Quebec. Uh, there's... Uh, everything kind of meshes together. So when, when she saw that my mom was supposed to be going to the airport and flying to Europe, and then... She couldn't get in contact with her. She's freaking out. I got my family emailing me and calling me and had to call her and calm her down. And, you know, this is this is kind of I, I know we've had actions in the social media age, but this is really the first time that people are able to see stuff live and people are able to see video that's you know transferred within seconds. It's going to change a lot of perspective on this stuff. And it's not just the, you know, the glory days of war, Spanish Civil War. Um, though I would create my own parallels there. It might be very interesting. It's tough. It's tough to say because um, there are a lot of Ukrainians who happen to be here. I know that you shared some stats on uh, the number of um, Ukrainians who mm-hmm. are in Canada presently and also who have over Ukrainian heritage as well, which yeah. is a lot. Yeah, oh, well over a million. One of the largest diasporas of Ukrainians outside of Ukraine um, in the world. Uh, I mean, that's one of the big things for me is, and I'm surprised we haven't seen any real concrete announcement yet. Um, I mean, we've seen some things in regards to visa applications. I'd love to see a little more in regards to refugees, those who can get here, um, being given um, whatever status it is needed for them to stay. Um because, I mean, Ukrainian immigration to Canada has long been a, a success story. Um, and we should, we should allow for more of them. Um, and then my own, I mean, my own biases is half my family um, came to Canada uh, when the Soviets invaded Bulgaria. And they came to Canada, made a new life. Um, and, and... And, I mean, created an amazing uh, opportunity for their family and was welcomed here. And I think we should probably offer that to those who are fleeing Putin's invasion um, this time around. Yeah, and I I think that, I mean, it's essentially apart from energy policy, um, at least on the immigration front, that's that's one of the most powerful things that we can do, uh, particularly because then you're addressing the people. And I know that there are, there's gridlock all over. I mean, I've I've taken that route outside of Ukraine, uh, this kind of strange route where you have to some parts cross on foot because there's so much terrible traffic. And I've been on the it was the Poland Ukraine border uh, border I believe. And uh, back then, even I think I went 2016. We had a uh, staff retreat back then, uh, or uh, sorry, executive board retreat. And uh, the 
rental company would not give insurance if you crossed into Ukraine. With the car. With the car. So we couldn't directly rent the car. Uh, we had to park it on the Polish border and then walk across and then basically get a, a kind of taxi or a you know, ride share all the way to Lviv. And wow. So this stuff has been, you know, that was 2016. That was two years after Maidan, two years after, you know, everything happened with Crimea. And it's the people that have been suffering. You know, it's, it's not easy to transfer money. You know, if you're in Ukraine and you're trying to use any European or American banks, that's very tough. Um, I'm very interested to see how the, the pain that's being dealt to a lot of Russian citizens because that's that's fairly new. Uh, I don't. I mean, we're we're obviously in a more digital age, um, but I had mentioned before with some of our colleagues that the a bank uh, that I know of that's in Lithuania, uh, basically saying, "Hey, all of the Russians who happen to have accounts here, they're all closed now." Yeah, and the thing is, is that I don't love the indiscriminate sanctions where they're not targeted towards specific individuals and they're done based on nationality. Um, because realistically, I mean, if we're having an honest conversation about the state of Russian, if we put it in air quotes, uh, democracy, um, there are people who didn't vote for Putin and have and do not support him. Is it their fault that this quasi unelected dictator is is has imperialist visions and? parading through Ukraine? No, it's probably not. And so it's one of those things where you, you have to acknowledge that you're you're hurting ordinary people in Russia for the crimes of the dictator that they probably didn't choose. Um, and so that's always tough for me to square. But then again, at the same time, you can very easily go after the people who are closely linked to Putin. Um, and that is a in my opinion a much more effective way um of of dealing with this this problem yeah and uh, i mean i i mentioned before the energy stuff and i think that's where it's very appropriate to have like a domestic policy response in canada and the us cuz that's the one thing that we got energy <laughs> we got oil we got gas we got it all and the exports have not been running smoothly and it Look, let's lay the blame where where it should be. It's at the environmentalists, and um, I know our colleague Luca at uh, Consumer Choice Center had mentioned that the uh, European Green Deal uh, has basically just been abandoned. It's been killed in the European Parliament and Commission because people realize, okay, well, if we do all of this, then we are more dependent on Russian energy. So we need to start refining our own stuff. We need to start, you know, looking at other partners, which is basically what the right people in the U.S. and Canada have been saying for, you know, the better part of two decades. And unfortunately for many people, uh, Trump said this uh, many times, and there's a there's the video of him meeting with uh, with NATO and the, some of the German guys at this, yeah, this video has been going around on Twitter, and he's like, yeah, just really terrible. What, what, you're, you're taking all of our money, and then you're taking the Russian oil and gas, <laughs> yeah, and we're getting screwed here, and you're screwing your own people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, if ever there was a time for for Canada to get its um, natural resources to market, it's now. Um, it really should be a no-brainer 
uh, in terms of development. I mean, you look at now all of the arguments that were had about oil and gas crossing the U.S. border, and it all seems quite silly now. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, that's why we have these, you know, again, I'm going to say it ridiculous yeah. barricades um, that were happening in Canada there a few years ago, which we covered on this program, uh, which had to do with, you know, the pipelines going across various territories and all the like, and many environmentalists and many in the media, um, you know, tooting the horn. But look, that's what we have is energy at our feet. You might not like it. And there are a lot of externalities, but we have ways to deal with it. And right now we're talking about people's lives at stake because Germany's too afraid to shut off the gas from Russia. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that really irritates me because it's like, guys, you're supposed to be the good ones. Like, you're supposed to be solid on this. And yet, because you went anti-nuclear, which was stupid, you're now relying on Russian gas. And now you're kind of you have your hands kind of tied behind your back, and we have this global crisis that wouldn't really exist if they hadn't have caved. Not that the invasion wouldn't exist, but the the gas problem for for Germany and some of the rest of Europe wouldn't have existed if they had better energy policy, if they had nuclear reactors and had leaned in on that rather than senselessly oppose it. Um, David, I've got a quick. Um... Are we the baddies? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Basically, exactly. that's, that's kind of what's happening with, the amongst the, uh, with Greenpeace, you know, and their big council. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, did our policies directly lead to the further reliance on Russia? It's like, yep, it sure did. Um, and yeah, they got to face some music there. Um, whether or not we get like energy policy reform out of this, it's still way too early to tell. Because I think at the end of the day, it largely depends on how bad it gets and how long this goes on for. Um, another big thing, I mean, that we, that I have argued, because I mean, the the consensus right now is that this is going to really disrupt the price of gas um, and and really put some upward pressure on pricing, which makes a lot of sense uh, on why it would. But I mean, there's an easy way to to curb that price increase and it's just create a tax holiday on the gas tax because i mean i in canada uh, i would assume it's i think maybe up to 40 percent or something like that of the price you pay for a liter is the government's cut cut that in half right take 20 cents off a liter overnight yeah the government revenue is going to take a hit but i mean in a time of all of these inflationary pressures and all of the problems surrounding that it's like if this if this becomes a prolonged conflict that really disrupts that market for a long time well that might be our way of dealing with the uncertainty let's look uh, real quick uh, since you mentioned it because i always think it's interesting let's look at the average cost of gasoline per liter in the world um, if, <laughs> if we look at Canada, it's one thirty nine. Is that about that what you're seeing? Low. No, that's about twenty cents off. Higher or lower? Uh, gas is about twenty cents higher. Okay, so that's probably so averaging about, out across the country. So I'm assuming it's cheaper. Maybe yeah, out in Alberta or something like that. Uh, so Austria, we're at one sixty eight which is definitely wrong. <laughs> so yeah. I, it's definitely higher than that. I'll tell you that right now. 
uh, I got have my tank. It's sixty euros. It's like ninety Canadian dollars. Oh, is that in USD? This is in USD. Yeah, sorry. Oh, then that's right. Yeah, then okay. That, then actually, that price is about right. Yeah, that's a bit off, but uh, yeah, apparently Hong Kong most expensive in the world two seventy three US per liter. Uh, Netherlands, Oof. as one can guess, Norway, Iceland, Finland, Denmark. Uh, they love their taxes. Yeah, and, and that's, again, that's the kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of platitudes. I don't, um, mm-hmm. not a big fan of turning my uh, profile picture black or white or, you know, whatever no. the thing is, du jour. Uh, but, you know, some kind of concrete policies that will help people in the short term. Yeah, that's something you kind of got to do. And, you know, can people call this a black swan event? Not really. No. Not really. No, people no, have been no. talking about it for years. Yeah, I mean... And we've already... We saw a trial run. Yeah. I mean, we've been here before. Although people were surprised that of when it happened. Anyone who's been listening to the things that Vladimir Putin says knows full and well that, I mean, this had always been on the table. And isn't it the weirdest thing? I'm going to do a little language thing here. In French, Putin's name is Putin. <laughs> It's the strangest like the thing to, like, just to hear, uh, you know, when I hear Quebec radio, it's like, Poutine aujourd'hui. I'm like, what? What did this delicious uh, gravy uh, drenched and curd cheese French fry dish do now? That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, yeah. So I, that's, uh, yeah, I'm sure it floats around in Quebec every once in a while. But um, I'm, I am seeing much more about the supply chain, inflation, uh, a lot of concerns about what's happening there. Um, I know there's there's a lot of bad stuff out there. There are a lot of good causes, uh, obviously, that people can support uh, or send their money to um, if Patreon has not already disbanded or canceled it. Uh, but we can talk more about that when we come back from the break. Here on Consumer Choice Radio, we'll get into some um, domestic, international stuff and some uh, normal Consumer Choice topics. Uh, stay tuned right here to your radio or your podcast app. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Obviously a very um, emotional time uh, for many of you who are listening and paying attention to the news. And uh, we try to cover that a little bit in our first two segments there. Uh, Dave, real quick, I want to do some inside baseball for uh, Consumer Choice Radio. Um, we actually got dinged. Um, I'm not sure if people know this, but on the podcast version of the program, uh, we always have a nice little graphic uh, that goes out into the podcast players. And uh, we got dinged on the copyright uh, by one of them. It is uh, one of the Nancy Pelosi-themed episodes, of which there have been many. Uh, it was an episode called Nancy Pelosi Investor Extraordinaire. Yes. And uh, it was a picture. You know, I just copied that, whatever. We mixed it up in Photoshop, put it up there. And uh, because it was too similar to the other photo owned by, I don't know who, Reuters, Getty, something like this, they have these agencies that they task with going around the world and trying to shut down websites that use them. Yep. So we got dinged with that on a podcast cover, which I I don't understand. Uh, I mean, we put our own logo mixing. I had my own filter, uh, you know, had some stuff in there, but I, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe this is just kind of the old uh, shakedown to where people just like it seems just pay it because it's not yeah, worth it. it you seems, know, it's a little ra- little it ransom. Seems to you know, be. it's like oh, you used some version of our image, so we're gonna get you or threaten to get you. 
but if it's like a picture of a politician, I think that should be in the public domain. It should be fair use. Me. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, it should be fair use because we're adding our own spin. We put our own logo, put a funny little thing in there about how she's, you know, an investor extraordinaire. Yeah. And I uh, thought that would be amazing. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But it, yeah, yeah. We, I've seen this a lot. It's becoming more and more common where you get those, you get a very scary email and it's like, hey, you used our picture. Come on. I mean, we have this back at um, when we were about to go to the, um, I'm sorry, when we were about to go to Davos alongside the World Economic Forum, if we remember that. Yeah, you had to preface alongside, otherwise the World Economic Forum would ding you. Yeah, and that was before they infiltrated your governments. Oh, I'm getting (laughs) tired of seeing that. People be like, oh my god. Yeah, so... And and you, um, I think it was you who had posted this uh, op-ed by... Michelle Rempelgarner. Uh, Michelle, yes. And um, she came of, of note recently, um, not just related to Ottawa and Hong Kong, uh, but also because of her introduction of uh, a framework for cryptocurrency uh, regulation in Canada. Which is really good to see, um, basically starting the conversation... Um, and what that what comes from that will, I think, largely determine whether the the crypto space in Canada is competitive or not. Um, I'm not overly confident at this moment, but fingers crossed, um, we can avoid some of the mistakes we've made in other uh, industries, whether it be finance or banking, where things have just been too rigid or outdated, and and it's very difficult for companies do business here um yeah so it's a good first step but the devil will be in the details and i know that you and i will be weighing in on what those details will look like because it's a pretty sad introduction uh to for canadians to hear about cryptocurrencies um under a Mareva order in canada through an ontario super, uh, superior court judge have you followed this a little bit? Yes, I have. You're going to have to walk our listeners through uh, through what exactly happened. So this relates to, uh, obviously, the honk-honk protests uh, that were happening in Ottawa or, um, I mean, what do they, they call it occupation? I don't know what the correct term. Blockade occupation. Blockade convoy protesters, you know, those, those <laughs> truckers, you know, whatever it is. Um, so there was uh, the... Uh, Emergencies Act, which we discussed last week, which you can listen to uh, last week's episode, and essentially the federal government, you know, granted themselves uh, these extraordinary powers and basically said to all the banks, uh, you will not be liable for any uh, lawsuits or anything like that if you shut down accounts that are related to the trucker protests and then also cryptocurrencies. And uh, so that's one that's in one pigeonhole. And then alongside of it, uh, there's a freezing order that's known as a Mareva injunction. It's separate from the federal government's uh, efforts to try to seize all the funds. Um, so there's there's one called the Hong Kong Hong Kong Hodl campaign. This is done online. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, basically, raising Bitcoin. Um, I believe in the end they raised about 1.3 million Canadian U.S. dollar. Uh, sorry, Canadian dollars. Uh, so around 22 Bitcoin. And um, I was very attuned to this campaign. I've been following some of the people involved in this and, and kind of followed how they got the money out and all this kind of stuff. And, and basically, a judge's um, order related to a lawsuit 
that is uh, being carried through the courts by citizens and residents of Ottawa against the truckers. Uh, basically, the judge in this case uh, for the plants, this is the, the residents of Ottawa. Uh, apparently, this is a class action civil suit. Um, the honking got too much, as it were. And uh, the judge actually ordered frozen millions of dollars, um, especially those held in cryptocurrency. Uh, luckily for that particular campaign, actually most of the money had already been uh, dispersed to the various truckers. Um, there's probably only around six to $8,000 left um, for all this stuff. So actually they did pretty good. Uh, but, you know, this is it's something that doesn't happen very often, but it's particularly through the judicial system. A judge can order certain accounts to be frozen. Uh, hasn't happened too often in Canadian history, but uh, at least a few times. Regardless, um, the crowdfunding stuff and Emergencies Act and all that is, I guess, kind of behind us now. But seeing how this has really crept in, I mean, it obviously changed a lot of things for uh, people watching around the world you know, to see how Canada was responding. And then it's also, you know, we're talking about freezing bank accounts of Russian oligarchs. You know, last week we were talking about freezing the bank accounts of uh, <laughs> people who donate to Canadian trucker protests. Yes. It, it's kind of crazy. It's a big weapon, you know, to take away someone's livelihood or, you know, where they store their, their income. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, it highlights, like, it can be a useful tool to deal with a very very serious emergency in regards to what's going on in in ukraine um it is probably an overreach to deal with a protest and the thing that got me about the emergencies act was so they passed it the protest was done everybody left for the most part and then trudeau was asked well what are you going to do next he's like well we're going to have a vote to keep it and everyone's like why like why would you keep it it's over and it's like well in case something happens it's like well that's a terrible precedent and the canadian civil liberties union was vehemently opposed and there's been some groups who filed an injunction against it and so it was going to a vote what would not have been a confidence vote but then trudeau made it a confidence vote and so like other there were liberal mps who were going to vote to repeal it uh, arguing that it was no longer necessary and then they were forced essentially to vote to keep it um, under threat of forcing another election upon the Canadian electorate, um, which is, a, I mean, that's a tough position to be in, is basically say, okay, I, do I want to vote against this enough to force Canadians back to the polls? Well, I don't know. Um, I can understand why someone maybe wouldn't want to do that. And so... You, they voted, it passed with a majority because the NDP sided with the Liberals. And then two days later, Trudeau repealed it. And it's like, wait a second. If this was so urgent and necessary, why did you, you could have just repealed it before the vote. Why, like, it just didn't make any sense. It felt very opportunistic as if he saw which way the wind was blowing, public opinion wise, and then did a 180. Uh, but everybody looks bad on this because it's like, okay, well, oh, yeah. what changed in two days? Nothing. Um, so it was necessary, and then it wasn't necessary, and it's just like, ah, oh, come on, come so on. It, it, here's a, I mean, it raises the, a very good question, David. Have you yet invoked the Emergencies Act? <laughs> Things are out of control. Justin Trudeau has invoked the Emergencies Act for the first time ever. 
And now, you can too. Hello, Mr. Jones. This is the CRA. It seems you haven't filed your taxes for the last two years. I invoke the Emergencies Act. What? I invoke the Emergencies Act. <laughs> Sir, uh, you can't do that. Just watch me. Thanks, Justin Trudeau. Overwhelmed, stressed, incapable of handling a situation? Invoke the Emergencies Act. I'm sorry, Gary. You just haven't landed any new accounts, so I'm going to have to let you go. I invoke the Emergencies Act. You can't fire me. Yes, I can. No, you can't. It's a thing. Look it up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Pretty good to have. Uh, that's uh, from the, uh, this hour has twenty two minutes yes. on uh, Canadian public television. Government comedy. Government comedy. <laughs> Government comedy. Uh, usually, and I, I've seen a couple of comments. People are like, "Yeah, that's actually the first time that I've laughed <laughs> yeah. at this show." Yeah, they. It's it's been a struggle uh, for them to, <laughs> to get some laughs, but that's a good one. I mean, and it really is. I mean, that also goes back to my point where they're like, you start to see the tide turning in regards to public opinion. <laughs> When the government comics are giving you a hard time, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, you know, we've had NIMBY comics uh, that we've discussed here. Now we got government comics. I mean, uh, we, we we've got it all here, folks. We've got uh, you know a good amount. It's uh, it's a you know strange, a strange world, out, world there. out there. Very strange, very strange. Um, not to not to go go back to Ukraine, but I do have to. I I do want to say very quickly, just some of the heroic things um that have come out of of ukraine over the last few days um i mean one example of a an 80 year old man showing up at the the military office um to essentially join the military showing up with like two pairs of pants a toothbrush and a sandwich for lunch basically saying i'm going down with the ship like let me know what to do um there's obviously the story on Snake Island, where, which was an island that was surrounded by a warship, a Russian warship, and the Russian warship told them to surrender, and they told them to go F themselves uh, and fought to the death um, there. Um, so there's tremendous resolve on the side of the Ukrainian people, and we're seeing that as well with their, um, with their leader and... Um, it's it it is remarkable to see um when when faced with this that people are taking to the streets and and are are there by every indication they're going to fight tooth and nail um and and that is um quite honorable in my view yeah and there's uh, there's going to be a lot more from you know a lot of public groups a lot of people who are in the streets campaigning i know that it's uh not many people have been getting a lot of work done um towards the latter latter part of this week uh just a lot of focus on what's happening there's um uh, yeah it feels a little bit like 1939 but that is okay well i, I hope that, that is not accurate uh, um but that is my my gut reaction i also do have to say that the folks in the russians in Moscow or St. Petersburg or wherever else who are holding anti-war protests knowing full well that they will be arrested um also honorable and courageous and they're they're doing the right thing um 
So you, you you can't go without mentioning the the folks who are doing that as well. Very true. There's been a lot of people um, there, and I know that Navalny, uh, who is the opposition figure there in Russia, he's actually currently on trial. I'm sure this is nothing more than a kangaroo court, but uh, he actually was able to address this in some of his statements. I mean, you know, not this is on C-SPAN or anything like that or CPAC TV, but um, at, at least you know to know that you know, there is a kind of oppositional movement. And, you know, there's been a lot. There's people that we have known related to the uh, Libertarian Party of Russia. And, you know, there's all been, you know, there have been some efforts to do things throughout the years. But, yeah, it's it's complicated. And I think it, it's always about the language. It's very difficult for us uh, who, you know, don't speak Russian or any Slavic language really to, to get a lot of the nuances and understanding. And, again, it's that ajit prop. It's, there's a lot of propaganda out there. I mean, we see it in English more so. I mean, I'm seeing the overreaction from um, the uh, Lincoln Project, your buddies. I don't know if um, I call them my buddies. But... <laughs> uh, they they had a tweet before saying that uh, you know Fox News uh, has quote been piping Russian propaganda directly into the minds of U.S. soldiers as one of the default stations on our own military bases. We need to ban Fox from bases. Uh, no, let's not do that. I mean, if you wanted to. So they can the watch broadcast. CNN? Is that yeah, what you, you want? want? <laughs> if you want to revoke the broadcast license for Russian state-owned media, yeah, I, that, I could get that, but I digress. I digress. Yeah, there's you can do a lot there. Uh, so, David, what a week. Um, I know we got plenty more to come next week. Um, until then, I bid you all adieu, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you next week. The money's coming from somewhere.